I really like that music, uh, the announcement. I think I'm the bang two rocks together <laughs> level. But uh, the way I heard it was you could bring two rocks and be a part of things. Yeah, good. Um, hey, great to be with you this morning. Uh, this is the first time I've preached at a Bethany campus in, in a bit, and uh, I know you know this, but all the Bethany campuses are, uh, you're kind of right in the middle of this sermon series that's been mentioned all, already, uh, portrait representing Christ in the community or in your, your city. And the format has been, start with what in effect is a distortion or a poor uh, view of God, faith, Christ, Christianity, the gospel. So uh, a, a misrepresentation, like identify that, and then uh, administer the antidote of a, a biblical view of, on that particular uh, subject. So look at what the, uh, the false portrait is, and correct it with what we hope and pray is a, is a true and accurate portrait based on Scripture. And today's uh, theme or the notion that we'll, we'll be looking at is that of pleasure. Pleasure. The distortion that we want to correct, and the lion's share of my time is going to be on the correction, but uh, the distortion is that God is kind of anti-pleasure, anti-fun anti-joy. God as, you know, grouchy old man in the sky. Uh, God as the get-off-my-lawn guy on kind of a cosmic level. Uh, the antidote that, that we'll look at is no, as our scriptures have told us, no, God is actually the giver of every good and perfect gift. That's our, our James passage, every good and perfect gift, including those that can only be described as gifts that bring us pleasure and bring us joy and blessing. Are there sources of pleasure that are off limits for Christians? Uh, yes, you know, we'd want to we'd say that, sure. But as I'll try to show at the end of my message, they're off limits not because they're pleasurable, but because they're not pleasurable on a deep enough and a lasting enough level, but I'll, I'll say more about that in, uh, toward the end of the message. But let me, let me say a prayer, and then we'll get into this subject today. Father, thank you for uh, this time together. Thank you for this theme that we get to consider together, and I pray that your Holy Spirit uh, would be our teacher today, uh, help me and help us to have our picture of who you are uh, to be true and accurate and based on the teaching of Scripture. Uh, be with us now, I pray in Jesus' name. So again, the, the distortion, uh, God, Christianity, Jesus, the gospel, anti-pleasure, uh, no fun, kind of dourly puritanical. In fact, I thought of that great quote from H.L. Mencken regarding Puritanism. Uh, here's the quote. It's the haunting fear that someone somewhere may be happy. 
the haunting fear that someone somewhere may be happy. And I think that can be kind of a, a common stereotype about God and Christianity in general. Think of literature, movies, TV shows, the stern and judgmental you know, clergy person, the stern and judgmental uh, Christian parent, harsh, uptight, anti-fun, anti-pleasure. Um, I want to take us in the way back machine for just a minute, and uh, I'm be, being more mindful of this in my, my preaching and teaching. Uh, I, I'm going to take us all the way back to the 80s. And I know some of you like weren't even born in the 80s. And that's what I've become as I've gotten older. I've had to like cross-check some of my pop culture references because it's like, who, what, who, who are you talking about? Um, but there was a movie that was quite popular in the 80s called Footloose. Anybody ever heard of Footloose? All right. It, does this song come into your head even just a little bit? Oh, great. That's such an encouragement. Um, but I was working on this message, and I thought, I think this like negative vibe about who God is and what faith is all about, I think it's in that movie Footloose. So I literally just Googled Footloose and found a synopsis, short paragraph about the movie that I want to I read for you. Uh, moving from Chicago, newcomer Ren McCormick, played by Kevin Bacon, very young Kevin Bacon, is in shock when he discovers the small Midwestern town he now calls home has made dancing and rock music illegal. As he struggles to fit in, Ren faces an uphill battle to change things. With the help of his new friend, uh, Willard Hewitt, played by Christopher Penn, and a defiant teen, Ariel Moore, played by Laurie Singer, he tries to loosen up this conservative town. But key line now, this is why I'm reading this. But Ariel's influential father, the Reverend Shaw Moore, played by John Lithgow, stands in the way. The Reverend Shaw Moore stands in the way. There it is. Everybody would be dancing and footloose and happy, but for Reverend Shaw Moore standing in the way, standing in the way of happiness, standing in the way of joy, standing in the way of pleasure. That's what God and Christians are all about, or so the negative stereotype goes. That's one example. Another example, uh, just out of my own personal story, uh, I go to a pastor's conference each spring, eight days after Easter. We like to say it that way. It's every year. It's always eight days after Easter. The conference is down at a place called the Mount Hermon Conference Center outside of Santa Cruz, California. Just an awesome place, awesome setting, great conference, you know, a bunch of exhausted pastors after Easter get together. And uh, early on, we thought, hey, wouldn't it be fun after the, the evening speaker, if we would hop in our cars, those who wanted to, drive into the little town of Scotts Valley 
and have pizza and beer and just fun fellowship together, you know, at the end of the evening. So one of the guys called the little pizza place, said, hey, there's going to be some number of us that would like to come down. It'll be a little later, like 8, 9, not like right at dinner time. And he said, oh, sure, come on down. So our evening speaker ended, and uh, we just, you know, got in our various cars and kind of made our way to the pizza place. We were having our pizza and beer and fellowship and talking and just having a great time laughing and joking, and it was awesome. The proprietor came over and said, hey, I'm glad you guys are here, but I need you to keep it down a little bit because I have a group of ministers that's going to be here soon. We said we are the ministers, <clears throat> but the proprietor, could it just wasn't in his frame of reference that a bunch of clergy could be laughing and having a great time together. I just think that's what happened. This can't be a bunch of clergy. They're having fun, and they're, like, enjoying themselves. Um, so I'm sure you could tell stories too, about an image, a picture of God or Jesus or the faith that kind of has this anti-joy vibe to it, anti-pleasure. God, maybe Christians, the whole program all about no and don't and can't. And yes, you know, and I'll keep repeating this, there are things that Scripture says no to. I want to be clear about that. But to turn God into a kind of a cosmic no, don't, can't, I think really is a, like a slander of, of the highest order. Because I say that because an honest reading of Scripture and, the, and just a look at kind of the Christian tradition generally, um, and we're kind of heading toward the, the second point, my second point here today, really it presents a God who loves people and loves life and gives joy, and gives happiness, and gives blessing. And this is our our Psalm 16 reading. I'll just read part of it again, because it's one of my favorite parts of Scripture, actually. I'll I'll just pick up. Uh, Therefore my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. For you, God, will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures, pleasures forevermore. Fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore, which leads right into my second point, the antidote, the the truth, the correction to that first picture of who God is and what it's all about that I I described there. The second main point would be God actually, and this is our James verse, thank you for reading, God actually is the source of all good gifts. God is the source of all all good gifts. To present God as anything but that, I would say... is a lie of the devil. In the opening chapters of Genesis, we see God bringing about this awesome creation 
amazing creation, placing man and woman right in the middle of it and saying, it's all yours, enjoy it. I've made this for you. Now, there's, <clears throat> there's one tree, just one, that I'd like you to not eat from that tree, just so you know your ultimate allegiance is always to me and not to creation itself. So there's one tree, just avoid that one. But other than that, it's all yours. And then in Genesis 3, what does the serpent say to Eve? Did God really say you couldn't enjoy any of that beautiful fruit? Man, what a cranky God. Well, but wait, that isn't what he said. He said you enjoy all the fruit except one. The lie is the distortion of that very point. All of the garden was given to man, woman uh, to enjoy. So I see this as kind of the archetypal misrepresentation of God and God's character. The God who created everything and called it good and then gave it all to humanity to take care of and to enjoy is portrayed by the serpent, by Satan, as a stingy, grumpy, kind of cosmic Reverend Shaw Moore. No dancing, no music. No, that's not the God, though, that we find in Scripture. Again, you make known to me the path of life. In your, full, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. Doesn't sound like the Reverend uh, Moore at all. By the way, I couldn't actually fit this anywhere logically into my sermon. So parenthetically, I'm just going to say this, make this point now. Uh, do you remember when... Uh, what David did when he saw the ark return from the Philistines to Israel, what did he do? He danced. Sorry, Reverend Moore. Right there in Scripture, dancing. The two broad theological categories in the Bible are creation and redemption. In both, God gives his people joy and blessing and pleasure. Psalm uh, 94, nine reads, does he who fashioned, fashioned the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Now, the point of the verse is that God hears and sees. I want to acknowledge that. That's the point of the verse. But the assertion is premised on the idea of God creating us with the ability to hear and to see. So when we hear music, we have kind of a music theme today. When we hear beautiful music, that's a gift from God that we have the ears to hear it. When we see beauty and we're moved by it, that's a gift from God. We have eyes to see it. I think of these as creation pleasures, creation pleasures. The taste of good food, the joy of sexual union between husband and wife, the smell of what, your favorite lotion, bacon sizzling, uh, probably shouldn't use that reference, <laughs> you know, right now, um, a blossoming, you know, a blossoming flower or tree, all these capacities for pleasure, the pleasure of those things are creation gifts from God. And then when we move to 
from creation to redemption, what do we find? The same God bringing joy to his people. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly, have it in all its fullness. John 10.10, John 15.11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And you know we could, we could create a long list of scriptures exactly in that category. Uh, Jesus liked weddings, celebrations. Jesus made massive quantities of really excellent wine. One of the first miracle, the first miracle in John's gospel. And I've heard Christian speaker, speakers say, you know, now remember, wine back in those days was different. It was more like just a grape juice. No, it wasn't. It was wine. It was wine. He made fabulous wine. And he didn't announce to the crowd that he had made that wine. The stewards knew. He didn't use the winemaking as a gimmick to preach. He just supplied awesome wine at a wedding for the people there to enjoy, not even knowing it came from him. Jesus loved food and and feasting. In fact, he uses that image of food and feast to describe or characterize heaven. In fact, his opponents accused him of being a a glutton and a drunkard. (laughs) Am I saying that Jesus condoned gluttony and drunkenness? No, I'm not saying that at all. But the accusation implies that Jesus was comfortable enjoying food and drink. He took pleasure in it. Pleasure. Again, the James verse, God is the source, the giver of every good and perfect gift. Every good and perfect spiritual gift? Well, uh, yes, but every gift. Every gift. Every blessing. Every source of joy. Every breath we take. Life. Life was God's idea. Life, human life, was God's idea. To have sensate beings exist at all was the idea, the creative will of God. This isn't, it doesn't strike me that this is the no, don't, can't, get off my lawn God at all. This is the good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, pouring into my lap. God of creation and of redemption. Can we abuse these gifts from God? Yes, we, we can and we do. Uh, we see that, that sad story unfold in Genesis 3. But remember that sin and its tragic consequences are the distortion and abuse of gifts given by God. God made our taste buds. Do I engage in gluttonous behavior at times? Yes. But that doesn't mean food and its wonderful taste is the problem. I'm the problem. The food and its wonderful taste is a gift from God. And we can apply that thinking to all pleasures of life. Uh, every, uh, Every facet. 
used as intended by God, and they are incredible blessings. And that's from God's side to us. From God's side to us. So our problem isn't that we enjoy life's pleasures. I would argue that our problem is that we don't enjoy life's pleasures enough and with an eye to the God who gave those pleasures and to give thanks to him. Which leads to my third point, the way forward. Uh, And I call this, uh, borrowing from C.S. Lewis, we are far too easily pleased. That's the quote from Lewis. We are far too easily pleased. Uh, Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, wrote this. Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. I think Lewis, as he, as he often does, hits the nail on the head here. Instead of pressing into God's best for us, a best that brings deep joy and deep happiness and, yes, deep pleasure, we settle for kind of second best. Who knows? Maybe it's because even we who claim to follow Christ and know God actually operate sort of on the functional level with the grumpy old man God, you know, the get-off-my-lawn God, uh, the Reverend uh, Shaw Moore God, who stands in the way. You know, we can uh, profess our faith in, in, in so many things, and yet, as we actually live, that's where we want to see what, what's my functional, operational view of God. There's uh, a great scripture 1 Timothy is chapter 4 uh, that, that I want to read quickly here. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons uh, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And then how's this for a punchline for our whole theme today from the First Timothy reading? For everything created by God is good. Everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So this is, I think, a big part of our calling, to receive, to embrace, to enjoy the gifts of God, all the gifts of God. For everything God created and gives is good. Can we abuse these gifts? Again, I know I'm repeating because I want to be super clear on this point. Can we abuse these gifts? Of course, that's the sinful, broken human condition. But let's not let our abuse or misuse obscure the fact that everything created by God is good. 
and nothing is to be rejected if received with thanksgiving. I conclude with this final thought, uh, kind of a final take on our our topic of God and pleasure. Uh, Though intellectually I know that I know this isn't the case. I see in myself, and I'm who I know best, so that's why I use myself for this example. I guess I I could have used Travis, you know, and put him on the spot, but I'll use myself. I see in myself a tendency to think, uh, you know, what God really loves and cares about and connects to is stuff like, uh, church, the Bible, prayer, acts of service. You know, the spiritual stuff, the sacred stuff. Based on the ministry of Jesus, that's who I'm like really keying in on here. I think that's a way too narrow view of God. And leads to some of that God is anti-pleasure uh, way of thinking. I see in Jesus more of a holistic, God cares about all facets of life outlook. Jesus feasted with his friends and his enemies. Jesus seemed to have taken time to appreciate nature. I mean, come, Sermon on the Mount, he comes up with these great lines. Consider the lilies of the field. Well, it, what that tells me is that he spent time considering the lilies of the field. Or look at the birds of the air. Implies he's spent time looking at the birds of the air. Uh, yes, he studied scripture. Yes, he worshiped. It, you know, all that, what I called the sacred stuff. But he saw all facets of life as kind of the arena where God's glory uh, was on display. Jesus spent all kinds of time talking with all sorts of folks, especially those who were being shunned by religious leaders and religious people. In fact, I think it would be fair to say that Jesus embodied, incarnated that 1 Timothy 4 text, everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. This is about the eighth time I've repeated this, so then, now I'm done, I think. Don't hear me saying, if I enjoy it, it must be good, okay, and godly. No, I'm capable of abusing God's gifts at every turn. I'm fully capable of that. My eating can become gluttony. My drinking can become drunkenness. My sexual desire can become lust, and on and on and on. I can warp God's gifts and take a kind of pleasure in that warpy thing. Just because I'm taking pleasure in it doesn't mean it's good. But let's not make our misuse of God's gifts cause for missing that these are, in fact, good gifts from God. So, this is my final uh, two sentences. Might be one sentence, depending on how I say it. So, who, who is your God? 
Who is your God? Is it the grumpy, get-off-my-lawn stereotype, the God like Reverend Shaw Moore, who stands in the way? Or is it the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore, and life, and life abundant. Let's join our hearts in prayer. God of creation and redemption, I pray that you would open our eyes to see who you are and how you desire us to respond to you and the gifts you desire to give us. Give us wisdom on this subject of pleasure. Help us to live lives that uh, in all things give you thanks and enjoy the blessings that you desire to bestow upon us. Give us discernment and wisdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.